Welcome to NSCA's Coaching Podcast, episode 56. And, and, and it sounds cautious and it sounds corny, but safety leads to technique. Technique leads to success and strength, in my opinion. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Scott Caulfield. Today with me, Roger Marandino, Director of Research at Catapult. Roger, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you being on. We are here in a very empty exhibit hall. It's actually pretty nice. Uh, they just gave us a break here at the 2019 NSCA Coaches Conference. How's it been for you guys so far? It's been great. You know, I, I don't know what conferences is for me, but I, I think my first one might have been in, you know, maybe 19... 19- 93 in Las Vegas um, so it's a lot of the same faces and a lot of new ones so it's, it's really cool yeah and that's great to have somebody on like yourself who's just had such a long history and involvement with the NSCA and I mean you've been in so many different settings throughout your career so I kind of want to definitely talk a little bit about that uh, you spent 17 18 years at Brown University mm-hmm. um, Ivy League school, um, but you get started, you know, before that with some other experiences. Why don't you kind of uh, tell us a little bit about how, why you got involved in strength and conditioning? Um, no, it, it, uh, I still remember it pretty well. Um, I went to, uh, I'm from New Jersey and was, I uh, got involved in, in the drug-free um, powerlifting um, circuit there um, in high school, um, just getting ready for football, to play football on track and field. And so I ended up going to uh, Kane College as part of the uh, New Jersey State School System, and um, I loved it. I mean, I, I literally got everything I could possibly get out of that school, and, and it was it was inexpensive as well, which was great. Um, but I can remember um, I was originally going to go athletic training route because um, there, there was no strength and conditioning route at that right. time. But I remember getting my first um, NSCA journal. And I just said, you know, hey, I could really do this as a profession. This is something that I'm really into. And um, that spark was just lit in me um, to find out information. I already knew that that I enjoyed training and I was always like trying to find out new ways to do it or smarter ways to do it. But um, that's what started the path. Um, So when I graduated, um, I I took an internship um, with John McBride at University of Pacific. And prior to that, I went out to this um, speed clinic with a company called Speed City. Um, It's based out of Nimbus, Oregon. And I met, you know, guys like Randy Smythe and, you know, Remy Korchemny. And I think Ken Wood from the Bengals spoke. And um, so anyway, long story short, I ended up getting this internship with John. And then I went to um, the NSCA conference. Yeah, and I think it was 1992 in Las Vegas. Okay. Tammy Wooden and I drove down, and and I interviewed, and um, I interviewed at a couple places at, at Dartmouth with Steve Plisk at the time, yeah. and um, who's still one of my <laughs> oldest friends, yeah. and uh, and then Jerry Martin at UConn, and uh, I ultimately ended up taking the job at, at Connecticut, and. And um, it was fantastic. I mean, I enjoyed every moment of it. He let us coach. He, he, always, he always pushed us, very demanding human being. Um, he's since passed away um, a couple years back. Um, but the cool part about it, Scott, was that he allowed us to be a fanatic about strength and conditioning, which, you know, 
at that time, it really was so new. It wasn't new, right. but it wasn't as diverse. So yeah. um, I enrolled in the biomechanics program there. And um, Bill Kramer had just left. He was in the exercise okay. phys department. So um, at that time, um, we were treated um, as assistants. We were the assistant strength coaches, but we were paid through the um, graduate assistant program. So I think my first year there, I think I made $4,000 okay. and yeah. dirt poor. Yeah. Still, I was still competing in powerlifting at the time yeah. um, and then loving every minute of it, right. more or less. Yeah. Um, there were no assistants. Um, at the, I think my second year there, I took over football, and they were transitioning from, at the time, it was 1AA to 1A. So it was a great experience, a lot for somebody that's in yeah. their, their early 20s yeah. to handle. Um, but Jerry was, um, was always there to back me up. Uh, Andrea Hootie, who's been at Kansas now for I don't know how long and won so many national titles, it's hard to count. Um, she was there with me in year two. Okay. Um, and that was the, the very first national championship that the, the women's program uh, basketball at uh, Connecticut won. And um, to this day, that is still the benchmark for um, preparation, toughness, you know, smart play. Yeah. yeah. Um, even all the way up into the NFL, there, there really was no group that was was like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that experience led to um, some interviews when I when I got my graduate degree. Interviewed at St. John's in New York and uh, was offered the job. And then in the 11th hour, um, I was asked to interview at Brown, and um, which is in the Ivy League and, and located in, in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, went there thinking at, at 24, I was the head strength coach. 37 teams. Uh, our weight room was like, I don't know, maybe 3,000 square feet. Right. It was One in the basement, a, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Well, yeah. it was... It looked like a basement because there were yeah. the windows, you know, actually had bars on them, so no vitamin D. And, and uh, uh, it, it was it was a square. Uh, it was a rectangle, so okay. it, it was okay to, you know, we had you know, seven platforms, seven racks, you know, pulling area. Um, everybody cleaned, everybody squatted, variations, and the size of the facility actually allowed me to do it mm. because had I had a bigger facility just from the sheer amount of scheduling hours in a day there really isn't enough yeah so there you got the kids in the morning and you got them after school and some trickled through throughout the day okay. so it made for a long day yeah um but that was really the only way you could pull it off um we didn't really train on the weekends, per se, um, but in season, obviously, in football, we did because, um, you know, we would train on Sundays, so then that would allow me, okay, well, I'm going to be here for football, so I might as well get <laughs> lacrosse yeah, done yeah. or swimming or whoever, yeah. and the next thing you know, you're there for seven hours. And, yeah. Um, but I, I really, um, I have such a fond, fond memory of that place and the NSCA uh, in New England at the time. Yeah. I mean, we had we had Steve Plisk, who was, um, you know, uh, it's really bringing me down, really. <laughs> but Plisky was at Yale at the time, yep. and we would have these bulldog clinics, and the best of the best would speak. Yeah. You know, yeah. Doc Kramer, you know, Jerry, uh, Andrea, you know, all the guys from Columbia, um, all down into Penn. You know, Joe Schoenlieber that year, um, who was at Drexel after 9-11 had this big memorial event up in New York and we all went up and spoke um, 
Doc Fleck, I think, spoke one time. It was just really um, the who's who at that time of not only researchers, but S&Cs yeah. in that region. Yeah. Um, Mike Gerber, who was at Syracuse forever. Um, it was just really a tight-knit community. And now some of the guys are out of it, but some are still around. And, you know, I guess I'm at that point where those were the old days. You yeah. Know? yeah. And then, um, you know, both I, I met my wife um, uh, at Brown. She was a graduate student there. Um, both of two of her brothers also, they rode at Brown. Um, I knew one early on, but didn't really know them. So another small world thing. And then um, both of our daughters um, were born in Rhode Island. And then, um, you know, it, it, it's a tough area because there were so many hours I had to put in at work. And just like everybody. Right. Um, but financially, it got tougher. Yeah. And then um, when the military was starting to um, hire S&Cs, yeah. um, Jay Hoffman actually recommended me for a job. And it was very very cloak and dagger they showed up in a van at my house and brought me to the airport and I was gone for like three days and didn't know much about the job but ultimately uh, after a long wait they ended up hire, or, uh, offering me the job and we turned it down because uh, uh-huh. my wife was, was pregnant with our first daughter at the time Annabella and um, but we did discuss we said hey um, if the next opportunity comes, we really need to take it seriously. As much as we love it here, we're, we're more than likely going yeah. backwards. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, not long after that, um, uh, Barry Rubin at the Philadelphia Eagles um, called me up. I'm from South Jersey. Andy Reid's a god there. Um, it was like, yeah. You know, yeah. but the, the lockout was happening at that yeah. time. So just prolonged it and prolonged it, um, which ultimately, when I look back on it, was probably a good thing because I know this sounds a little bit bizarre because nowadays it just seems that it, most people are just chasing jobs. Right. But it allowed me to stay with um, a lot of our teams that were in the fall, our, our men's soccer program, and Mike Noonan, who's now at Clemson. I mean, we were just, we just were rolling. And uh, football with Phil Estes, I mean, we built that program up. Yeah. It was really awesome, you know. Yeah. So it was able, I was able to kind of deliver the team, you know, to Brandon yeah. O'Neill, who came in from yeah. Iowa. Yeah. So um, the crazy thing about it is that weight room, my white whale of trying to get a new facility, we were building it. Okay. And it's now it's enormous. It's, it's, it's fantastic, yeah. you know. And Brandon has done a great job with it, but that was my white whale. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, um, you know, working with Mike Richardson at the time, Bud Charnica at Alico, and it was just, it was going to be that spot, you know. Yeah. And uh, so ultimately I paid that price and, mm-hmm. and left it. Uh, and, and they built it. They did a really nice job. Um, but I still have never had a really big facility. Yeah, even, even yeah, at yeah. The Colts was, it's a very nice facility, but it wasn't like these guys have today. Um, so then they, uh, they, they offered um, me the job at the Eagles, and we went... Um, uh, in July, it yeah. was, I believe. When I went directly to training camp. Um, we had a decent year. Um, that was the dream team year. Vince Young said that. And Mike Vick was our quarterback. Great guy. And um, so anyway, I got to work with Andy Reid, which was, was fantastic. That's cool. It really was. And to work with Barry, um, what an unbelievable human being. Um, we're still really, really tight. Um, to work with the Reed kids and the Reed family and, and Tammy Reed was, was really, really fantastic to my wife. Um, and then um, Ryan Grigson, who was working with Philadelphia uh, in the front office, ended up getting the job um, with the Indianapolis Colts. And he says, um, says, would you like to go? 
And we talked about it and talked about it. And one of our goals um, going into the NFL as a family was we want to be able to stay five years to get the pension. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, it really it existed yeah. and it was extremely valuable to us, you know, because neither of us made um, a ton of money right. <laughs> to that point. Um, so we ended up accomplishing that. But I was like, as long as the Colts have the program, then we're going to go. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was hard to leave Philadelphia because my mother still lives there. Yeah. And, you know, but ultimately you got to go. Um, the team did not do well uh, previous year. Um, we went in and we kind of soup to nuts changed. Yeah. You know, they, you know, we went 11 and five. We, we drafted Andrew Luck in the first in the first round and first pick, and uh, we were rolling. Um, playoffs uh, for three years in a row, AFC Championship game, NFL record, consecutive wins, and then um, we were eight and eight. And uh, so the story goes in the NFL. You know, they sacrificed a lot of the staff, yeah. and I was part of that. Um, which um, is tough, but again, that's, I guess it's a part of the profession more so now, much more prevalent than I can remember, ever right. remember, um, and it's a shame. Um, however, we were under contract, so that was good. We had all of our, our boxes checked family-wise, yeah. yeah. so that made it um, a lot easier to swallow. Yeah. Um, so um, what to do next? So um, I was under contract for a year, so I couldn't work, and... Um, you know, I just, I, I did a lot of stuff around the house, did a lot of research, reconnected with old people, visited, stuff that you couldn't do yeah, because, well, as you know, busy, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, it just takes up so much of your time, the job. Um, uh, just really, really sat down and says, what do I want to do for the next 20 years yeah. of my life? Yeah. And um, not to give advice, but, you know, you find out if you're a worker bee or you're not. Yeah. Are you going to enjoy retirement or are you not? And I think that I don't know that I would ever want to stop working. Yeah. I, li- I enjoy working. Yeah. We all complain, but <clears throat> ultimately yeah. I found that out about myself. And I volunteered at a high school. And, you know, my young guy, David Williams, who was one of uh, Jay Hoffman's students, you know, back in the day in the, in the sports performance lab and played football, you know, at UCF, um, he ended up, I ended up hiring him into Colts through, through Jay's um, recommendation. And um, he's, he's a lifelong friend, yeah. you know, so there's a lot of good that came out of that. Um, but anyway, he ended up getting let go. So I got him that job at, at Zionsville High School and he's still there now. So nice. um, you go from, you know, college to Ivy League to professional to high school. Right. And then, right. you know, and it's like. It really was a cool thing because the reality is a lot of the principles are the same. Yeah. They are. Yeah. They're just, it's just a different population. Yeah. But gravity's the same in a weight room in a high yeah. school as yeah. it is in, you know, another part of the world. And uh, you, you better be careful because, you know, they, somebody can get injured. You yeah. Know? So, um, and then from there, um, we had a couple of interviews and, you know, one of them was offered and it didn't end up working out, um, which was a really good job, but it just didn't, it fell apart in negotiation. And then um, while I was uh, at the Colts, um, we engaged with Catapult, you know, yeah. to track our players, you know, to try and um, keep them as safe as we could, uh, to learn more about the demands of the sport. Um, and just developed a fantastic relationship with um, Roger Moore at the time and uh, Emma, Emma Beanland, um, and um, we just started talking and um, said, hey, <clears throat> you know, why don't you come work for us or let's talk about this or what are you going to do with me at this time? And then 
<clears throat> that was sometime in 2017, um, before the CSCCA, and then ultimately um, I, I signed with them, and um, it, it's been fantastic um, experience for me. Scary, because uh, you do the same thing for 25, right. almost 25 yeah. years, and a lot of that comes second nature, um, but ultimately I think I had experience with the product. Um, my background in periodization really helps because it just makes a lot of sense when you see this data come out um, and what to do with it. And, um, you know, the, the one thing you find out really, really quickly um, with SNCs is that um, they speak a lot of languages. You know, they, they speak training room. They speak parent. They yeah. sp speak player. They speak football coach, basketball coach, you know. I mean, we had, you know, 37 teams at Brown, you know, almost 900 athletes, you know, so there really wasn't a sport that existed in the U.S. that we hadn't worked with, yeah. you know. Um, equestrian was a team we had. Huh. Well, now I'm trying to do a project with an equestrian uh, doctor that's really into eventing. And last nice. night, Chris Morris and I were talking about another really cool project. So, I mean, it, that experience, um, I never in a million years would, I would think I would be using it at right, a different right, place, right, yeah, you know, yeah. down the road. Um, but I do believe in the product wholeheartedly. It helped us big time. Um, we helped Catapult develop what's called a, a local positioning system, which is um, Clear Sky. Yeah. It's an indoor GPS system. Um, so we're very proud of that. And now it's, uh, you know, sky's the limit. But um, that's it in a nutshell, the, yeah. the career path. Nice. What um, I think a lot of the Brown situation, too, makes me have a lot of questions like... 37 teams and again coming from Dartmouth myself I'm familiar with the amount of teams and, and how that works and how crazy it is and I know typically like we did you don't have a lot of staff so it's you yeah. and a couple GAs so maybe yeah. you know tell us some things that you did maybe that you guys did that you know helped you um, manage all these teams with a small bud with a small staff and then also maybe talk too about how if you're in a situation where you may be a one man show one woman show and you've got a small budget and you got to get things done you know mm -hmm. what what recommendations you have or even things you th you thought uh, of maybe after the fact i mean then again you're there 17 yeah. years so i'm sure you've figured out a lot of things um you know i uh, one accident is too many <laughs> So, um, you know, and, and <laughs> I don't want to get, you know, choked up, but, you know, Jerry Martin right. was like, you always have to know why, yeah. you know, and I had, a, I had pretty good success in, in the strength sports. So some, sometimes that might not be enough. So you always had to know why, you know, so instilling that in me, um, and definitely in Andrea, cause we're, we're very similar, um, really was the cornerstone. Um, you're in charge of that room. You're responsible for the safety of the players, student athletes. Um, you start an exercise physical preparation program to get better, not worse. Yeah. So you really have to understand everything that you're exposing you know, the players to. And um, that's what the NSCA is all about. It's a research-based organization and that's what sets it apart in my yeah. opinion. Um, and then, you know, back then, and, and I'm sure you can do it now, but back then we wanted to know the researchers. We, you know, I could pick yeah. up the yeah. phone and call Doc Kramer. He's a right. friend of mine. and yeah. said, what do you think about this? Or are there studies this? So 
that was first and foremost. It's like we had no business teaching somebody something that really was unsafe or was unproven or was yeah. just on a whim. Yeah. Now, the facility actually was kind of a blessing because, um, you know, it was small enough where we, we couldn't put, you know, five teams in there at once. Right. You know, and it really, you had to be on your toes with your scheduling. Um, your coaches had to work with you because if a team was supposed to start at 4 o'clock, then I had another one coming in at 4.15. Yeah, yeah. You know, as the equipment would free up, as they started to move through, yeah. um, then you can really get the job done and get it done safely. And yeah. I'm very happy to say we never had an ambulance pull up to yeah. our we Now, it could happen at any time. Sure. But, um, and then, Scott, I think more than anything, the kids there. Yeah. I mean, they they wanted to be there. Yeah. And um, that's not to say there weren't a handful, because there always are. But um, they allowed us... You know, they allowed us to coach them and teach them the right way to do it. And we had to be fanatical, back to Jerry, about safety. Yeah. And, and, and it sounds cautious and it sounds corny, but safety leads to technique. Technique leads to success and strength, in my opinion. Yeah. You can only be as strong as, as how smart you are. How do you, you know, do you know how to hold the bar right? Do you know how to take the right breath? Do you know how to set the bar up when it's heavy? Do you know how to get rid of it if you get into trouble? Yeah. Um, one example that comes to mind is... Because the schedule was so heavy, everybody would kind of be in somewhat groups, okay. you know. So I remember there was a baseball group in the morning, 6 a.m., um, you know, so we had a rule that when you, when you got off the bench, when your set was done, you went to spot. And then you just got into your rotation. Well, this kid was warming up in the morning, and there was 135 pounds on the bar, and he has a seizure. Hmm. No one, I mean, you can't predict that, I mean, right. you know. So he, his arms kind of go funky for a moment, and then the bar drops, and it, and it hits him kind of on the forehead and scrapes down his nose, and it's going for his neck. And the spotter was there to grab it. So the, rea- the moral of the story is, because they were so accustomed to being into that, that rotation, yeah. if he would have just been doing that on his own, it may have gotten his neck. Yeah. You know, yeah. so... Things like that, um, the advice is whether the room is, is full or not, accidents can happen. Um, I think that, you know, equipment-wise, you have to buy the best stuff you can afford. Yeah. You know, and we got to spend some time with the, the new Alico guys and, you know, Bud Charniga. I mean, we, we did business with him forever. And my first budget I bought in 1995, uh, an Alico barbell, and it was still there 17 years later. Wow. And all it did was get dropped every day. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. um, because you're probably not going to get a second time around to right. get your stuff. Right. Um, you have to be innovative. Yeah. We built our own platforms in the wood shop, you know, and the guy was happy to do it. He really yeah, yeah. was into it, right. you know. Um, interns, uh, inviting other people in to come in and see something that you, you don't see, showing them there, there was a lot of camaraderie in the profession then, but it was less digital. Yeah. You know, it was more, hey, I'm gonna yeah. come visit you. You know, let's, let's sit down and talk shop. Um, how do you implement this? Um, y- you have to be a fantastic communicator with your coaches, yeah. you know, because they sense your passion, you know, and you have to sense theirs. Um, picking the right people really vetting them yeah. really really vetting them because it's easy to talk about when you're in you know hour 20 and it's you know halfway through your second day of the week yeah. and it gets harder you right. know i mean right. fatigue causes you know accidents so. yeah 
I'm, I'm proud of a lot of the people that worked there. A lot of them went on and had fantastic jobs. Um, really proud of the fact that, you know, we had, I think, of only two assistants there in 17 years. All of them were female. Yeah, wow. You know, so um, being exposed to that, I until I got... Until I got to the NFL, I always worked with female on the staff, all the way back to Pacific with yeah. Tammy Wooden was the first. So to me, it just it just makes so much sense, you know. And I I really really enjoyed it. Um, but advice, I don't know. I guess I guess safety first is probably the biggest piece of advice. Uh, I think that's huge. What um, when you're talking about assistance, and we actually just came from a resume writing interview skills uh, session that Ron McKeefrey and I did, and somebody asked us if you know all things considered, qualification wise and uh, I- interview wise, the people did the same job in the interview. You know what? What are you picking? based on for the person that you pick for that job i guess what what traits are you looking for in an assistant um you know it's, it's a fantastic question because when you're at a place like brown if someone's applying there there's a reason yeah if you're at a place like the indianapolis colts someone's apply, applying there it's a completely different reason yeah so one of the things that that we did in indy um I remember when we were um, interviewing for um, nutritionists, and I immediately, they would come in and sit down, and I would say, I've looked at your resume. It's fantastic, okay? Your resume got you here. I don't want to talk about your resume anymore. Yeah. What are you going to do when you have to get this person to do this, and they don't want to do it? Yeah. What are you going to do when you have a lot of success and you start feeling good about yourself are you going to still be the same person are you going to be the same person under duress are you going to be the same person um when we're winning you know because then in my opinion that's probably the most dangerous is when you're becoming successful you know um why are you here what's important to you is it is it the profession you know because you know strength and conditioning kind of is a cool profession you know you know are, are you going to be willing to, you know, get up on a Sunday and go work with a basketball program that just came off the road? Yeah. You know, um, and again, it comes back to what we discussed earlier. Um, tell me why we squat. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a really great exercise. No, I understand that. Right. Tell me why. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts why. Are you thinking about this past, first, second, third base? Are you really, yeah. really thinking at it? Are you studying it? Um, what does it do to your nervous system? What does it do to your connective tissue? How about your, you know, your endocrine system? What happens? Yeah. You know, I, I need you to, like we had, um, we had a group come in from Indiana State, and I said, um, has anybody heard of, it was either yoga or Pilates or whatever. I said, what is yoga? And they're like, well, it's, uh, said, but no, what is it? I said, when they do a pose, wh- what is that? And they should have said, it's an isometric contraction. What's the difference between isometric and eccentric? (laughs) I said, so the professional really has to think deep and cover their bases because guess what? There's going to be a lot of people on these sporting staffs that have trained with weight. Yeah. Right. You're the professional. Yeah. So do you want to be a professional and, you know, tell me how, tell me how, um, why are you doing this? And again, I guess it goes back to Jerry. You know, he always said, why, 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 why are we doing this? Um, 
and there was never enough answers. There right. really wasn't. Yeah. You know, empirically, we all know that, hey, the squat looks, you know, if I have an alien that lands here, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> so that, you know, if a guy can lift 300 pounds with half his body, or he can lift 500 with his whole body, that's probably going to give me more bang yeah. for my buck. Yeah. But I need you to go deeper, yeah. you know. Um, but above all that, above all that, it's a different day now with digital technology and social media. Um, you're a caregiver. Yeah. You have to be an expert. Um, what type of person are you? Because yeah. if I have a passionate, high-quality person, you know, because let's face it, Scott, I mean, you go in that room, you're outnumbered. Right. You're outnumbered. Right. You know, and so you, we have to be a team that's on the same page. There can be no ego in weightlifting. There can be no ego in training. Yeah. And it's really, if, if, if I sensed that, it was always a red flag. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna, you're going to have to care about the people, the athletes, like you said, protecting their health. But they're going to have to know that you care about their best interests. 100%. And the athlete is going to have to know that you're a professional. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't know the answer, you have to be able to say, I don't know the answer. Yeah. But I'm going to try and find be out. Be okay with that, yeah. yeah. Um, so what about going from uh, collegiate to professional? Is that a big jump? Uh, you know, is it not that not as big of a jump as people might think? I mean, I think some people probably see the professional right level as like, oh wow. I think some people get caught in the headlights and yeah. maybe they think that's the spot. And yeah. you know, was that a little nerve? Was that a little like, oh man, I don't, you know, was that a little nervous for you to make that jump at first, or um, were you like, no, you know, I mean, I've got tons of experience. I'm ready to go do this. I I think. Um Nervous was um, was a part of it. Excited was a part of it. The biggest thing for me was that I ran my own show and then I was going to be an assistant. So I think one thing that's very clear, and, and Andy Reid was, was great. When, when I interviewed, I think, two or three times because yeah. it just was that. They yeah. were vetting me yeah. so heavily. Yeah. Um, he says, do your job. Don't do someone else's. Okay. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. What's my job? My job is to support my boss, Barry Rubin. Yeah. And if he wanted me to do something, if he wanted to get me some research, if he wanted me to help out with a project, I did it. Yeah. And But there were times, because human nature kicks in, where you're like, well, I might do this differently, or this is how I've always done it. Yeah. So for me, it was so invaluable to have that one year. Yeah. Oh, my God, was it. And, and the reality is, is that you're going from an environment that is very unique in sports in an Ivy League setting. Right. Let alone to a different collegiate setting. So you're moving to a different setting. Um, the players are very transient in professional sports. Yeah, yeah. So they may be there one day, gone tomorrow. Right. So you still have to train them. Um, at least in the NFL, it is basically an in-season program. Yeah. So you have to know your periodization inside. Yeah. yeah. You can't do things based off of feel. <sighs> um, the testing protocols are, in most cases, more advanced in college. You can one rep max test these yeah. guys, so you're percentage-based. So, um, but I would say this, the main difference is they're professionals. They want they, they they want to get a lot better. Yeah. They, you know, we used to have a rule. You know, we'll work with anybody, but we won't let anything slide. Yeah. And the number one rule is when we tell you no, you have to say yes. Yeah. They never understood. <laughs> like when you want to put five hundred on and you just did four fifty, I'm going to talk you into doing four sixty. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, and again, it comes back to no ego. Right. But um, 
I think if you surround yourself with really level-headed people um, and you don't have an ego yourself, you'll be successful. Because yeah. the players were fantastic. They really were. They were some of the coolest down-to-earth people, um, obviously extremely talented, but they all got there for a reason. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it was... Um, now I'm still friendly with a lot of them. Yeah. And it's uh, same thing. It's, you know, you hear relationships, relationships. If you don't have that, then, you know, why are you doing it, in my yeah. opinion? Yeah. I mean, the money was much better, but the hours were probably about the same. Okay. Yeah. Travel was a lot more. Right. Um, Travel's big. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was really, really useful to me when I went and interviewed with, um, um, with the Army Rangers was, was a very unassuming guy who probably was in his early 40s and he was one of their leaders he had long hair you know just really cool down-to-earth guy and um obviously we got to the point where they explained to me what they do for a living it's very serious business yeah. as you know and he said to me he goes um we we don't want to be mandated on because my guys know what they're doing yeah they go they they want to get the job done more than the guy standing next to him, and that guy wants to get it done more than the guy standing <laughs> next to him. So we really, really hit it off, and um, I, I thought, wow, what a great piece of information, and it really helped me in the NFL. It really did yeah. because nobody, yourself included, whoever's listening, yourself included, wants to be told what to do. Right. They want right. to be shown. They want to be, you know. Now, if somebody is, is going against the grain, that's where we said we won't let anything slide. Yeah. You're at work here. You know, it's a professional organization. You have to lift weights. You have to stay in condition. Yeah. That's a part of your job. Yeah. And that was that was kind of cool, too. Yeah. But we never felt like we were forcing stuff yeah. down someone's throat because they're going to spit it back out. You right, know? right. And then the other thing, and again, um, it, it was hard when Jerry passed because he didn't have that guy to call. Yeah. And talk, yeah. you know, talk about. But going through that interview process... Um, you know, with the Rangers, the one guy says, I always have to have my house in order. Hmm. He goes, because I can go away from here and maybe not come back. Hmm. So I, I just, I was like, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't want to glamorize it because he was being extremely serious. So my first year in Philadelphia, I didn't have that because we had moved. My wife yeah. was left behind. Our daughter, Susanna, was just born. And it just was really fast. Yeah. So, and it was new for yeah, all of us, right. you know, so, um, being able to, to sit down and be on the same page with your, your home base yeah. is so, it sounds so corny, but right. it is so, so important Right. because guess what? You know, five years later I got fired for the first time in my life yeah. and who am I there with? Right. You know, yeah. and they get fired too. Yeah. And that's totally. the, that's the thing that, you know, my kids, you know, yeah. that, They'll, you know, they know. I can't. I can give you examples, but I'm not going to. They know because <laughs> yeah. the kids at school will say something. So um, that was such a valuable lesson that I learned from those guys. And um, having my house in order at home is, is really what's made us so much stronger as a family. That's huge. Yeah, that's cool. And Ray Ganong, who got the uh, President's Award today, too, said, you know that. I forget when it was in the early 80s when he sat down, I think, with Boyd, who came to visit when they played the Orange Bowl or something. He told him family first and basically kind of the same thing. Yeah. You got to have that together and you got to have that support, that foundation. Yeah, yeah because, you know, the, the thing is, is being at Brown for so long, um, 
you know, I, I, I wasn't, um, my wife and I didn't get married until much later in that run. So when you're, you're just, it's just you and yeah. you can just worry about you and it is very different. So you adapt obviously, but that's a huge part of your family. Yeah. I mean, those players and you don't realize it till you go back or like, you know, I went back to a hall of fame event and it was just like, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, just yeah. seeing all these, these guys again, they're like, Hey, remember when we did this? Or, yeah. You know, but, and, and there really is a real camaraderie. Um, because let's face it, you know, strength and conditioning, you're trying to get somebody that has a really good talent to try and develop another one, right, right. you know, and, and it's, it's, it's work, you yeah. know, there are times when it's really, really hard, um, and they don't see the light, but if they trust that, you know, that if there's that mutual trust and it's just a lot healthier, but, um, when you get into the professional ranks, it's hard because the players are very transient. There's a lot of money yeah. involved, but you still, you know, like a guy comes in, you don't want to talk about weightlifting all the time. You know, right, wait, right. you know, what are your interests? Yeah. You know, I mean, we had a guy, we had a guy at Brown, Nick Hardigan, who ended up being like one of the all time best players in the history of the sport uh, in the Ivy League. When I, when I first met him on his recruiting trip, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he goes, President of the United States. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, okay. So I'm not really that political, but maybe I'm going to start to, you know, because yeah. I wanted to have a common interest with him. And I didn't know how good he was going to be. Yeah. But I just, you know, to me, it was just always a cool thing to develop relationships with him. Because guess what, man? You're in there with him so much. Right, right. You don't want to talk about weightlifting the whole time, yeah. you know? Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, the strength coach spends sense. The, ma- the majority of the time with the athletes compared to anybody else that yeah. probably touches them. Yeah. Was there anything uh, when you went from college to NFL that surprised you? Like maybe you had a preconceived notion of what the NFL might be like and you were just like, oh, wow, that was that was way off. Like um, <laughs> whether good, bad or indifferent, you know, I mean, it, it's 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 probably a two part question because when you're there. Um, you know, you, you literally have to put blinders on, um, but, uh, they're really that good. I mean, the the players are really that good. And that was one thing that I think held up very, you know, to see, you know, to see a guy like Michael Vick throw a football, like when you're standing 10 feet away from him, you're like, wow. Yeah. Like, you know, or, or just, you know, just see some of the the effort, the timing, the, the preparation that they put in, uh, it's really true. Wow. I mean, it's not, um, obviously it's not, it, it's not for everybody. So the, those players normally aren't around a lot, but yeah. like, um, they're, they're special people, but you also have to understand too, a lot of them, Scott, like they've specialized, like yeah. football, like that's what they do. Yeah. Like, and they've been doing that for a really long time and they get really good at it. And they're, and a lot of them get there for different reasons. Some of them, I was surprised how not strong they were. Mm-hmm. That really was surprising yeah. to me, you know. And then I've seen some people that were so strong that, like, you know, you're like, wow, yeah. like that's really special. Yeah. Um, they all got there for a reason. Um, we see that a lot with catapult. Like when right. we go and we look at teams, you know, there there was there was one volleyball program that we looked at and. All the all the players, they all looked really twitchy. You know, they were lean. All their athletes, like they looked, they man, they looked. And then we go and we do the research on them, and you see one of the athletes that really wasn't, but she had the highest values. So when you talk to the coach, you're like, well, you know, does she know everybody's position on the court? She's like, absolutely. She's our smartest player. She's yeah. always in the right spot. Yeah. Therefore, she's always moving. Huh. So they all get there somehow, um, but. 
you know, I, I can remember like a guy like Adam Vinatieri. You know, we were similar in age, not to, but everyone knows, you know. Right. So, so we were really tight, and it was good being around a guy like that because he was just such and is such a true professional. Yeah. Great dude. Yeah. You know, very successful, very down to earth, easy to work with. Um, you know, I, I'm really into uh, into offshore fishing. You know, I, I, I don't go as much, but. I commercial tuna fish when I was, you know, living in Rhode Island, and then I have good friends in Canada, and I go. and And Adam's a real big outdoorsman, so I said, "Hey, man, I'm going up. Do you want to go?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll, sure, I'll go." And um, we had a couple days in July, which was, was really wasn't the best time to go, but we go. And I've done it a lot, and I wanted him to get a fish. Yeah. So it was a time of the year where we could get one, or we could get none. So anyway, long story short, you're going to go first, Vinny. And we fight with stand-up tackle. Heavy tackle, stand-up. Um, a lot of technique, but you need to be in shape, which yeah, he is. Yeah. He's very, very well-trained. So I said, the good news is you'll probably get a shot. I don't care if I get a shot. The bad news is you won't get a chance to see it first. Huh. So I can, I'm going to have to coach you through it. So lo and behold, we're there. We're on the water like an hour. So you got to accommodate a little bit. It's yeah, not yeah. the easiest thing because it's a coastal fishery. It's kind of rough. So anyway, he gets he gets hooked up instantly, and, it, and the fish was big, over 800 pounds. Wow! And um, and I watch him, and I'm coaching him through it, having never done it, and he did fantastic. Yeah. But when these big fish get to the get to the boat, that's when it really gets hard because they're so big. Yeah. They're so yeah. heavy. So it, the end game is hard. Anyway, long story short. He, he gets the fish, and, and it, it really exhausts him. And he gets off, and he goes, I'm glad I did that one time. Um, I don't ever want to do it again. Right? Yeah. And I said, you wait. I said, you wait. You, you wait. Your body will recover. Your mind will make you forget about the hard parts. Yep. And sure enough, he, like, comes back. I got a fish, and he comes back. He goes, I want to go again. And he, he got one close to 1,000 pounds. Holy cow. Wow. But he, he adapted so quickly because he was able to watch. Yeah. So that was one of the things that surprised me a lot about the NFL and about professional sports in general is as 90% of them are really professional. Yeah, yeah. Some people just get their own talent and maybe they don't get the job part of it. Yeah. But that was one thing that I didn't think was going to be so glaring. Right. You know, to watch some of these guys prepare, coaches as well, front office people, they're fanatical. And again, it goes back to like what Jerry allowed us to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be a fanatic about strength and conditioning, you know, because where else could I do that? Right. Now there's a lot more places, but back then... Sure. Yeah. It just didn't exist. Yeah, gave you the opportunity to to get the experience and and be able to be a sounding board. It's huge. Um, Yeah, and, and I mean, let's face it, you know... When you're in high school or you're in college, you know, hey, what are you into? I'm into, I'm into lifting weights. I'm into running. And, oh, well, back then it was like, oh, right. how are you going to make a living with that? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it was challenging financially for a long time, you know, yeah. for yeah. You know, most of my career. But yeah. when I got to Connecticut or when I interviewed with Jerry, I was in Las Vegas, and he, he videotaped me, hmm. which was, you know, it was unheard back of then. Because yeah, cool. he wanted to go back and review. Wow. You know? And so he was a very progressive thinker. Yeah. And after I got done the interview, I go, there's no way I'm going to. I remember calling my mom on a yeah. payphone going, yeah. oh, there's no way I'm going to Connecticut. I'm not going <laughs> to. And then we sat down and ate lunch. And I saw a different side of him. Uh-huh. And we started talking. He's like, you know, I can remember. He's like, you know, why don't you leave weights on, the, on a bench press? Why don't you leave 45s on a bench? And I had thought about this. Yeah. And I said, well, because it's going to change the molecules in the bar. 
they're going to crowd to one side and eventually it'll bend. Yeah. He's like, yes. He's <laughs> like, good one. You know, so yeah, yeah. I, I mean, awesome. it's, it's, it's pretty neat to be back here at the NSCA and think about those lessons, but they, you know, they, they were really good ones. That's really cool. That is really cool. Um, we, we talked about catapult a little bit. Um, the sports science stuff is hot. You know, mm-hmm. Dr. Triplett talked about the sports science certification that we're going, uh, going to be coming out with however mm-hmm. long it takes to do it. What, what's your take on, you know, where, where is all the sports science stuff going right now? Cause I know it's pretty new in the United States, honestly. I, um, I, I don't, th- I certainly don't think it's going anywhere. Right. The, yeah. the good, bad and the ugly of it is, is that, you know, Chris Morris and I were, he spoke for us yesterday at the pre-conference, Andy Altoff and Chris, you know, they're, they're clients of ours and they've become really good friends, you know, and it, it, it's cool. They get it. And, um, he, we, we just went to get a cup of coffee and he says, what would, you know, what do you think about the profession now? I said, well, there's a lot more opportunity. So that's one cool thing. Yeah. It's, it's another position that can help, um, bring the profession that much closer to where it needs to be. Yeah. I think that if you have a sports scientist, I always debate what do you call that position? Because, I, I, you know, I, we're all kind of scientists, yeah. you know. Um, that may rub some people with PhDs the wrong way, so I don't know about the terminology. I don't yeah. know about the naming of it yet. However, it's here. Yeah. Um, safety is so important to me. It was always just so important to me. Yeah. It didn't make any sense to take somebody that's perfectly healthy and, you know, try and get them to jump off a 50-inch box to get them 1% better that may not exist yeah. anyway, and they sprain their ankle and they're 50% worse. Right. So I think um, sports science, as it's viewed, should be geared around safety, the protection of the players. Yeah. You know, um, everywhere we go, especially when we get in front of ADs, they talk about welfare, yeah. student-athlete welfare, return to play. Right. right. How do you quantify those variables? Yeah. Um, if it can increase the, the research base, then I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. One thing I would say, especially with Catapult, is like when we, we use it on day one. And initially it was like, you got pigeonholed. They're like, um, you need to collect all this data first, and then you need to put on a lab coat, and yeah, you need yeah. to, you know, decipher it. Right. Well, we were, watching, we were watching live practice. We had a player that came to our team, brand new, and a hamstring injury. And it was a time of the year where he was trying to make our team. So they did rehab as the best they could. And then, you know, he gets released into the, the practice field. And he's winning our practice because hmm. we're monitoring all of our players live. And you can sit there and watch yeah. it unfold. You know, it's really awesome. And um, so the likelihood of that guy getting hurt, yes or no, is high. Pretty high, right? Yeah. You know, he gets deep into practice. We were able to walk over and intervene yeah. and say, listen, this guy, you know, whatever you think of him, you know, we need to tempo him down towards the end of practice so he can live to fight another day. Yeah. And that yeah. player actually ended up making our team, yeah. you know, down the road. And he was on our team, off the team. But, you know, he got to have it. Wow. If he pulled his hamstring right there, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ten years ago, maybe you don't have that. They let him go full speed still and he gets hurt and gets cut. He gets hurt, he gets cut, his dream goes away, and, and you know, so what, and, you know, but, yeah. you know, now that didn't happen. I'm not saying that it, you know, but I think sure, you know what I mean. Sure, um, But that's technically what would be under sports science. Um, when we introduce the product to potential clients or when we talk about it, we call it a communication tool. And everyone says, well, what does that mean? I said, well, we're collecting, you know, data, information, whatever you want to call it. 
and we're sharing it with the coaching staff. So it's increasing that communication between the trainer, the player, the coach, you know, and there's, again, that deep thought. The deep thought exists, um, trying to, you know, really figure out, um, you know, what's going on in a practice, in a game. You know, the difference between football and soccer and basketball, it's so drastically different. But empirically, you're empowering these coaches and these sports scientists with another tool to use. Well, it certainly is. uh, It's an exciting time. And I I like what you said about the opportunity that it's Mm going to provide for the profession because we're seeing, you know, the... 40 plus years now of this profession growing and becoming more recognized and with mm-hmm. the accreditation stuff that again Dr. Triplett's talking about and the where you'll have to have an accredited degree uh, to get a certification down the road and mm-hmm. I think we'll see uh, potentially you know a CSCS being a requirement of a sports science certification so you know getting strength and conditioning coaches into those roles especially is pretty huge because of the the experience with safety first and exercise prescription that they're going to have to be able to influence uh, the direction of training through sports science is tremendous yeah, and, and I mean, there's a fear of technology. You know, there, there certainly is. It was for me. You know, they're like, hey, what are you going to do? Well, we researched it ahead of time, and this is the program that we developed with it. But ultimately, if I were to break it down, uh, Mike Nicka just came over. You know, I've known Mike forever, yeah. you know, ever. And he's like, yeah, he's like, Roger, I'm old school. I said, well, I was old school when I was 13. So I think it's just your nature. <laughs> he says, but what is this? I said, Mike, it's volume and intensity. Yeah. It's just collecting it in a different manner. Just how you write down the weights you lift, yeah. the distances you run. This is just collecting what's happening in a practice in a game. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Doc Kramer used to say, if it bleeds, you can track it. <laughs> as long as it's giving those numbers out yeah. repetitively, then you could start to track it and start yeah. to develop periodization protocols, so on and so forth, yeah. you know. So to me, um, you know, it's a brave new world, and I think that, if you say it's technology, well, then it's it's cool and it's fearful. But I, I, I just think it's just another method. Sure. You know, when we've had GPS in, in our automobiles, you know, everybody has it. Right. You have it yeah. on your phone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about NSCA strength and conditioning certifications, you can get all the details at nsca.com/certification. Uh, well, great. This has been an outstanding episode. I appreciate you being on. If uh, people are more interested in uh, reaching out to you to get more uh, mm-hmm. info, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, probably email. And, and it's um, Roger, R-O-G-E-R dot Marandino, M-A-R-A-N-D-I-N-O at catapultsports.com. Outstanding. We'll put all that in the show notes. And as always, we appreciate everyone's support. So thank you for listening to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. And to all of you listening, we appreciate your support. If you do enjoy it, please go on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your downloads. Uh, Follow us, like us, write us a review. Uh, We really, truly appreciate your support of the podcast. And thanks again to Roger for being on. Oh, no, thanks for having me, Look Scott. Look forward to seeing you the rest of the conference. 
This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.